All right, well, welcome to Grace Church. It's great to see you out this morning. And uh, I want to say a special welcome to those of you watching online. And that was great singing this morning. I appreciate that, Keith and the band. And um, man, a good, good uh, time of worship through song. You know, on this Memorial Day weekend, our thoughts and our prayers are with those who are grieving, those who have had uh, family members, those who have had friends and loved ones who made the ultimate sacrifice while serving in the U.S. military. And, you know, I hope that we as a people will never take for granted the freedoms that we have each and every day. I hope that we'll never take that for granted. And I do have to say, freedom is not free. Our spiritual freedom was not free. And our physical freedom is not free. So if you would join me in prayer this morning, and let's just, uh, man, just praise God for our freedoms. Father, thank you for life. I pray that you'd help us to live it to the fullest. Lord, we're, we're so thankful for our physical freedom in the country that we live in. We're so grateful for the blood that was shed so that we can have the freedoms that we experience on a daily basis. And Jesus, we worship you and we thank you for shedding your blood so that spiritually we could be set free. Father, I just pray that we would use that freedom for your glory, for your honor, and for the benefit and for the good of people. May this be so in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, over the last couple weeks, we've talked about the powerful idea of every partner a guide. Every single one of us being able to minister to those around us, being able to uh, bless, being able to pray for, being able to encourage those who are around us. Understanding that it's not up to the paid professionals to do all the ministry. That we're all ministers. That we're all guides spiritually to those around us. You see, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are a minister. And you have a mission to fulfill that has been given to you by Jesus Christ. Peter a disciple of Jesus Christ, a follower of his way, summed it up this way. He said, for you, okay, speaking of you, are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. You can. For he called you out of the darkness and into his wonderful light. And what, what, what an incredible invitation to each and every one of us to be ministers of the goodness of God. And we've, we've talked about throughout this series how most churches that are in existence today, their ministry model kind of works like this. What they do is they, they hire a paid minister to do all the ministering. And it is not biblical. It's not the way that God set up His church. But in the writings of Scripture, we see a completely different model for ministry. Paul said this, Now these are the gifts that Christ gave to the church, the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastors and teachers. Their responsibility. Okay, so um, you could say it's their job, or you could even put it this way, it's their role description. Okay, their, their role description is to equip God's people, you, to do His work, and to build up the church. Remember, the church is people. It's not a building. The church is people. 
Man, the job of the leaders is to equip God's people to do His work, build up the church, the body of Christ. So instead of all the ministry being centered around the pastor or around the pastor team or around the staff, God's intention was to prepare an army to do His work, to equip each and every individual. His dream was for the church, was that every individual would be equipped, would be prepared to reach and to minister to those around them. And throughout this series, the the scripture referred to that as your oikos. Your oikos is your extended household. And remember, I gave the illustration that your life is on a stage and, and, and people are observing and they're listening and they're watching your life. And, you know, there could be some people way up in the balcony and sitting in the mezzanine and, you know, they, they are listening, they're watching what you have to say and, and the way you live your life. But it's those people who sit on the front row who have the best seats in the house and you have the most influence with those people who are on your front row. Those who are on your front row learn the most from your life. And throughout this series, you've, you've been challenged to write down 8 to 15 people that your life impacts. Who are those people that sit on your front row? It could be your children. It could be your spouse or a close friend. It could be co-workers. It could be classmates. It could be teammates. And the idea is, is you begin to intentionally minister to those on your front row. Remember, we've, we've said this, if you try to reach everyone, you end up reaching no one. So if you're trying to reach everyone in the theater, it's overwhelming. But if you were to bring your focus to those who are on your front row, and you intentionally began to pray for them, you intentionally began to, to build bridges of friendship and trust, and, and you earned the right to speak into their life spiritually. Like if each and every single one of us had that intentionality, every, every one of us began to function in that way. Like imagine the ripple effect. Imagine the impact. This morning, we're, we're going to continue to talk about how. Like how does this work? We, it's, it's kind of a, we're piggybacking off of our sermon last Sunday. And, and the question we asked is, how does equipping work? All right, Justin, that's, that's kind of a, a good idea, I would say, like to be intentional and to focus on our front row. Um, but honestly, Justin, I don't even know how to have a spiritual conversation with my friends. Like, how am I supposed to do this? And so we want to talk about how do you get equipped? How do you get prepared for this? And what we're going to do is we're going to look at a metaphor that the Apostle Paul used in 1 Corinthians. And, and in this metaphor, he, he talks about a house or a building that's being constructed from start to finish. And hopefully it's going to help us to understand how this equipping is supposed to work. And, and the first thing you need to know, you know, when, when you're building a house, there's always an owner, right, of, of the house or the property that it's being built on. And the owner gets to decide who the, who the architect's going to be and who's the general contractor and, and the design of the building. So starting uh, at the very beginning of this message this morning, I want us all to understand that God owns the church. Okay, the owner is God. And this may seem really simple, but we have to start here. God is the owner. And it's His church. The church does not belong to the pastors or to a denomination. It does not belong to you. The church does not belong to the biggest donors. 
The church, the people belong to God. He is the owner. God is the most important person in the church. God is the most important person in our lives. God is in charge. He's the owner. We submit to him. And so it doesn't matter what the majority says. It doesn't matter what the critics say. The real question is, what does God say? It's his church. What does God want? That's, that's what, the way we should live. That's our perspective. And we find out what God wants by studying scripture, by getting into his word and, and hearing from God. But it doesn't just stop there. We also find out what God wants by praying and communicating with God and listening to the spirit of God within us. We hear from God. We listen to him. And then we also learn from those who have gone before us. You see, Grace Church does not belong to me. I'm not the owner of this church. Grace Church does not belong to the elders. It does not belong to the pastors. It does not belong to you, the partners or the people of the church. It doesn't belong to the majority. The church belongs to God and he paid for it with his blood. That was the cost of his church and he bought it with his blood. We belong to God. So Paul makes sure, right, right out of the gate, he makes sure that we all understand who's, who the owner is. Like, who's the CEO? Who's the big shot? It's God, okay? Let's just make sure we're clear on that. And then he begins to talk about the blueprints or the building up of the church. Look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, in verse 10. He says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation. And I just want to stop right there. I want you to know that Paul is not afraid to say, I know what I'm doing. Like Paul is saying, I am a master builder. And this isn't arrogance or pride. This is confidence. Like Paul understands how the church is supposed to be built. And he says, I'm a master builder. I know what I'm doing. And then he goes on to say, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. You know, I think many of us, I would say many of you, a lot of us, we, we came from churches where the leaders, they were working in the church, but they were not working on the church. Like, and let me explain what I mean. It's, it's a classic small church mentality. All right? And the way it works is this. In most smaller churches, when you call the church, who answers the phone? The pastor does, right? Who do you see out mowing the lawn? The pastor. The pastor prints the bulletins. He makes all the hospital visits. If you need something, you just show up at the pastor's house, right? You, you call the pastor's cell phone, and the pastor is supposed to be available to take care of everyone's needs. But the reality is, is one person cannot be available to everyone. That's not the way God designed it. That's not what he intended. You see, we need leaders and pastors and elders and deacons and small group leaders and teachers and counselors and musicians. It takes a lot of people to properly care for the people of God. And Paul says, we need leaders who work on the church. 
Not just in the church. And working on the church means this. It means that we're not afraid to ask this question. And I think we should ask it regularly. Regularly. Is our church led well? Is it led well? Is it organized well? Are are people being taken care of through small groups? Are are we raising up leaders? Are we building trust? Are, Are we organized legally? Right? Are we following the law when it comes to how we do church? Because we don't, honestly, I don't want to be doing uh, church work from the inside, you know, in prison. Like, I don't want to be doing that. So we want to make sure that we're legally organized. Is our vision clear? And honestly, it's, it's working on things that most people hate to work on. It's, it's not fun labor. It's not enjoyable, like procedures and systems and policies and you know it's like oh my gosh I just feel like I swore right there you know when I said those words it's making plans for the future but but the idea is is as we grow because newsflash we're gonna grow because we have some dreams we have big dreams here at Grace Church we want to impact this region with the gospel of Jesus Christ Okay, so we're going to grow. But with growth comes growing pains, comes complications. More people equals more problems. That's just the way it works. And as we grow, we start more churches. Like, how do we stay unified? How do we staff multiple campuses? How do we train volunteers and plug them in and encourage them? How do we stay unified? And I didn't say uniformity, where we don't want everyone to be exactly the same. That's called a cult, okay? We want people to be unified, though. That's where a bunch of people are going the same direction. How do we keep leaders accountable? How do we turn 11 small groups into 111 small groups and stay healthy? How do we make sure nothing is done outside of relationship? How do we make sure that the hundreds of kids that pass through our ministry on a monthly basis are safe and loved and cared for well? How do we stay focused on loving Jesus and loving people? You see, leaders in the church need to work on the church so it stays healthy, so it's safe, and so it's it's a great environment for you to be equipped and prepared to minister to your front row. And we all understand that building a church is not easy. Here at Grace Church, we're knocking on the door of influencing close to 300 people on a weekly basis. Through our Sunday morning services, through Church at the Wild Horse, through our small groups, student ministries, G-Kids, on a a weekly basis, we're, we're close to influencing about 300 people every week. We're not very affluent as a church. We don't have a very big budget. And we live in a very expensive place. I thought I'd get some amens on that one, right? All right. A lot of you are young and, you know, people, this is a very transient community. People move in, they move out. And it makes it complicated because you're, you, you spend time building up a leader and you're trying to kind of release uh, responsibility to him. And then all of a sudden, whoop. They're gone. You know, they they move away. 
It brings complications. We need to be thinking and we need to be planning for these things. And it needs to be incredibly important because this life is not all that there is. There is an eternity to come. That's why the the work that we do in ministering to people and taking the gospel to our front rows and and making sure that people are well, well cared for in our church, it matters not only just for this life, but for eternity. It's a big deal. It's important. We need to be thinking about this, and it's incredibly important to us. And let me just say this. Grace Church has an incredible foundation. Incredible foundation. You might say, why is that, Justin? I think I heard that your dad was a pastor for 33 years. Yeah, my dad's actually sitting right there. Yeah, he pastored for 33 years. There was uh, two other pastors. Yep, you can clap for him. There was two other pastors before him. So in the church's like 70-year history, there's only been four pastors. Like, that's really cool. That's a great foundation. You know, that's awesome. That's not the foundation that we're built upon, though. As, As cool as that is. Grace Church has a great foundation because the foundation is Jesus Christ. He has to be the foundation. Paul says in verse 10, let each one take care of how he builds upon it. When he says let each one, that's that's you. He's talking about you. Someone has to carry out the plans of the design. And so as we think about this metaphor that Paul's using, okay, Jesus owns the church. The foundation is Jesus. And now we begin to build upon the foundation. You need to understand that you're the construction crew. You are. Every partner, a guide. So I ask you, like, what are your skills? What are your talents? What are your abilities? God has brought you to Grace Church for a reason. And, and, it, and the reason is why. Like, why does God have you here? What does he want you to do? Paul says, you need to be careful how you build. So use your talents. Use your abilities. Use your resources to help us build a great church. Why? So that we can be a light in this dark world, in this dark region. And remember, it's not just the building When we talk about building the church, we're talking about the ecclesia, which means a group of people. The church is people. We're building each other up. We're building up people. And what we're going to do is we're going to love Jesus, and by the grace of God, we're going to build a great church in this region. And I might even add churches, okay? Look at verse 11, 1 Corinthians 3. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid which is Jesus Christ. The foundation has to be Jesus. And I do have to say, like with all the planning and all the strategy and the charts and the graphs and and all that stuff's important, we we cannot leave Jesus out of our planning and our strategizing. Everything has to be built on Him. You can't build the church on style, on small groups alone, on programming. You, You cannot build the church on tradition You cannot build the church on a big personality. I mean, my gosh, we've seen that so often, sadly. Like, churches are built around this one guy who has a big old ego and a big old personality, 
But when he goes away, guess what goes away with it? The church. It can't be built on just a big personality. Our church has to be built on Jesus. And it it seems simple, right? It's like, oh my gosh, this is like 101 Christianity. But sadly, far too many churches miss it. We we miss it. We, We get distracted or focused on the wrong things. So let me be as clear as I possibly can. Jesus is our God. And he left heaven to become a human being. So the God we serve has walked in your shoes. He understands what you feel and what you're going through. Our God knew what it was like to face betrayal and experience betrayal. He knew what it was like to be hungry. Our God has walked in your shoes. He knows what you're facing and what you're going through. He left heaven to become a human being. He lived a sinless, perfect perfect life. He died in our place. He, He laid down his life for you and me. He took our punishment. And three days later, he rose from the dead. He ascended back up into heaven. And so we worship Jesus. We we pray to him. We sing about him. We follow him. The Bible is all about him. And our church, our lives should be all about Jesus. And if not, we will never succeed. We will never succeed. Let's keep reading in verse 12, 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So he's, he's talking about the materials that, you build, that you're building the church up with. So the materials that we use are really important. You know, the crazy thing is, is some of you don't even realize that you're builders. Let me use this example. Let's, let's picture a construction site for just a moment, okay? If you could with me. Picture a construction site, and there's a, a bunch of work that's going on. There's a bunch of people swinging hammers, digging with shovels, pouring concrete. There's people that are welding, um, you know, people that are working really, really hard on this construction site. And let's just say there's an individual. Let's just say it's you, okay? Just, just for example, okay? <laughs> Don't take it personal. Let's say... You're actually just sitting over in the shade under a tree and you got your lunchbox and you, while everyone else is working really hard, you got your phone out and you're playing Clash of Clans or something like that. You know, you're playing a game on your phone. And then all of a sudden you start complaining about the work that everyone else is doing. It's like, hey man, you're not even holding the shovel right. Like that welding job, man, that was trash. And you just kind of start picking on everybody else's labor. So on a normal construction site, how do you think it's going to go for the guy in the shade? A, he's either going to get a beating after work, right? Or B, he's going to get fired. But in church, okay, we're not allowed to beat people who aren't serving, okay? (laughs) And we, we get to love you. But what I'm trying to say is, is don't be the guy in the shade. Like, pick up your shovel and get to work. Like, help us. And here's the liberating part. I know there's many of you who say, Justin, like, I want to help. But I don't know where to begin. I don't even know where to start. And here's what I'm trying to communicate through this series is, 
Start with your oikos. Start with your household. Start with your extended household. Start with the people who you're close with. And just start praying for them and reaching out to them and ministering to them. It's going to be so powerful. We don't want a bunch of busy bodies. Like, that's the last thing we want is a bunch of you. Like, your lives are so busy. A lot of times people are rolling in on Sunday, and man, they've been putting in a ton of hours throughout the week. I don't want to give you more tasks that are just going to add to your hours. What I want to give you, though, is a purpose that you begin to see the people that you're influencing, and you take it seriously. Because remember, eternity is real. It matters. We want people to be equipped to minister to their front row. So if the workmanship is poor, you know, it's just thrown together, just like a house or just like a building, it doesn't last. And it's it's almost like Paul saying, hey guys, this isn't rocket science. Like, we got to have good workmanship. We got to do things well, do it right. Now, remember, Paul's not talking about the physical building, even though that's a part of it. He's talking about the vision and the structure and the game plan and the equipping and the developing of leaders. Let's read verses 13 through 15. He says, Each one's work will become manifest for the the day, speaking of the day when we stand before Jesus, for the day will disclose it. Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. And if the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So what Paul's talking about here now is the final inspection. So let's kind of use the construction site still, okay? Those of you that are involved in construction, you know all about the final inspection. Like when the work's complete, you kind of hold your breath because the inspector comes in and you're like, oh, I hope everything passes, right? Like I hope he doesn't red tag us and shut our operation down. Like I hope our electrical passes and the plumbing and hope our walls are straight, you know, and it's like you just hope everything passes. And so the metaphor that Paul is using is a picture of Jesus as the final inspector. Like, Jesus gives the final inspection, and he gives the judgment. So, man, when, when, you're, when you're laboring, when you're serving, when you're working for the Lord, remember that it's for the Lord. It's not for me. It's not for the pastors. It's not for the elders. It's for the Lord. And the fire that's being referred to here in these verses is, is the fire of testing. He's not talking about hell. He's talking about... The fire of testing. You know, we've all heard the phrase baptism by fire, right? It means when someone's being tested or, um, you know, someone, let's see what they're made of. That's the testing of fire. And so what happens is, is you live your life, the church lives its life, and you don't really get your report card until the end, right? It's kind of the way it works. But Jesus gives the final inspection. And I think these verses that we just read, it begs the question, is your life well built? And I think a great question to follow that up with is, is your life built on Jesus? Or is it falling apart like with no direction? Like, how is your life constructed? 
And this is very important for us to understand that there, there will be a judgment. There will be a time where we stand before Jesus. And I don't think it should be anything that you're afraid of or like scared of, but you need to understand there will be a time where we stand before Jesus and there will be rewards, there will be a great loss. And one day everything's going to be straightened out. One day um, it will all be made known that the, the truth will be clearly seen. There will be rewards. Your, your faithfulness will be rewarded. Your stewardship and your generosity will be rewarded. You know, if you're, man, if you're striving, you're, you're praying and fasting for those on your front row, you're interceding on their behalf, like God will, will he will, I can't even talk. He will reward you. There we go. By the way, Matthew chapter 6 is a, is a great chapter. Um, if you want to study more about rewards, Matthew chapter 6 is a great chapter to read. The point is, is, is you don't want to be the individual that's standing before Jesus when Jesus says, man, I'm sorry, but all that work and striving, like it just burned up. Like I'm, I'm still going to let you in because you're my kid. Like you're my child. But man, everything that you lived for Everything that you gave your time to, your money to, your, your energy, your creativity, the family you built, you know, the business that you gave so much time to, the, the ministry that you built, the church that you went to and you were so involved with. Like, none of us want to hear Jesus say, it's all junk. Like, none of us want to hear that. We all want to pass inspection. I want to see Grace Church go through the fire of testing and not turn to ash. And between here and there means that we're building and we're serving and, and the foundation is Jesus. And I know there might be some of us who are here this morning, some of us watching online and we're thinking, man, Justin, I thought, I thought it was based upon grace though, not works. Like It sounds like you're kind of talking about works. Like I thought it was grace. The reality is it's, it's about grace and works. 1 Corinthians 3 and verse 8 says, we will all be rewarded individually according to our works. Now think about it. If you become a Christian and you're faithful with your life, you get rewarded. But that first step of becoming a Christian has nothing to do with your works. That's all based upon grace. You, you cannot be saved. You cannot earn the 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 approval of God through your own power. It's only because of the grace of God. But after you step through that door of faith, now you need to do the work of God. And that grace should empower you to do those good works. Yes, you are saved by grace, but that same grace empowers us to do good works. Let's look at just two verses here. To help us understand that. Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 8 it says. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works. So that no one may boast. You can't earn it. You just have to receive it like a gift. And so yes we know that salvation is is by grace through faith. 
So works cannot save us. But don't forget about verse 10 in 1 Corinthians chapter 2. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You were, you were created for good works. You're created to minister to those around you that you influence. For the remaining time that we have together this morning, I, w- I want us to try to understand this at a little bit of a deeper, deeper level. Your relationship with Jesus begins, you know, when you experience the amazing grace of God. Far too many people think they have to do something to earn it. And so I, I want us to have a little bit of a visual to understand this. You know, every major religion in the world, they have what I call a ladder system. So every major religion in the world has a ladder, and they have their god or their gods, plural, at the top of the ladder. And in order to to get the approval of their god or their gods, they have to work and strive, and they have to climb the ladder to get to the level of their god or their gods. And hopefully, when all is said and done, at the end of their life, hopefully their God or their gods will be, uh, will give them approval. Will say, good job. You, you lived morally straight and you were striving and you were struggling and you are accepted. So every other religious system is trying to climb the ladder to be good enough for that God on the top of the ladder to accept them. And so what happens is you'll see a lot of it played out in religions. You'll see people pray in a certain direction three times a day. You'll see people fast and, 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 and give up all kinds of things to try to appease their God. You'll see people light candles and they try to live morally straight. They just try in their own willpower to do the right thing and to, do, uh, to live morally straight. They don't smoke and cuss or chew and they don't run around with women who do, right? Like that's kind of the mindset. They're just striving in their own power. Striving, trying, climbing, working so that their false God will accept them. And here's the sad part is sometimes they never know if they'll be good enough. Like what happens if you get to that you know, close to the top of the ladder, but you're one rung short. Like, I have to be honest with you, what an awful way to live. So now let's compare that to biblical Christianity. We also have one God who is sitting at the top of the ladder. But the Bible says because of sin, we are dead spiritually. So last time I checked, a dead person can't even walk, let alone climb a ladder. So we're dead. We, we can't do anything in our own power to get even on the ladder. Now get this. Biblical Christianity is not the story of human beings climbing a ladder to reach a holy God. Biblical Christianity is the story of God coming down the ladder in the form of Jesus Christ to save us, to redeem us. Like that's what's so beautiful about biblical Christianity is God came down the ladder. And what happens is, is our God has the power to bring the dead back to life. So we're dead in our trespasses and our sins, but through Jesus Christ, we can be brought to life spiritually. And that 
is amazing grace. You see, every other system is about climbing up the ladder, but the biblical system is God coming down the ladder to rescue us. Titus 3, 5 says, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. It's incredible. You see, after we're saved, okay, now we're brought to life spiritually. Now we do want to walk in holiness. We do want to walk according to the ways of God. You see, that same grace that saved us now empowers us to climb, to become holy, to do good works. And God, the Holy Spirit, is right there helping us, coaching us, teaching us. You see, grace grace saves us, but grace also empowers us to do good works. And I have to say, the followers of Jesus Christ should be the most generous, should be the most sacrificial, should be the most giving and kind, loving people on planet Earth. And it's not because we're trying to make God happy with us, but it's because we love God. And it's like, my gosh, he gave his life for me. The least I could do is give my life back to him. Let me ask you this in closing. Is your life built on Jesus? Is it built on Jesus? Is Jesus your God? Is Jesus your foundation? And maybe you're here this morning, maybe you're watching online and you're like, you know, I'm just going to, I'm going to continue running on the endless treadmill of religion, Justin. I'm just going to work. I'm going to strive to be good enough. That's, that's what I'm going to do. And I just want to encourage you as lovingly as I know how, but as truthfully as I know how. Don't go that way because that way ends in death. Spiritual death. I I just want to encourage you to follow Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Ask Jesus to save you, to be your God. How does this work, Justin? It just works by, like, man, when you get home this afternoon, on the side of your bed, you can get on your knees and you can just cry out and you can say, Jesus, would you please save me? Like, I want to give my life to you. Like, that's where it can begin. Those those of us who are here this morning watching online, maybe you're like, Justin, I've already taken that step. I already have put my faith in Jesus. So let me ask you a question. Do you know who's in your oikos? Like, do you know who those 8 to 15 people are? And and I want to ask of you, to be intentional with your household and your extended household, those people that you have influence with. Pray for them. Build good friendships. Enjoy life with them. Go to the lake with them. Like, man, earn the right to be able to speak into their life spiritually. And I pray that God's grace will empower you to serve not only Him, but to serve your oikos faithfully. And that's what I pray for, for each and every one of you. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for life. Thank you for coming down the ladder, God, to rescue us and to redeem us. Lord, I pray that we would never 
forget that you are the owner of this church. It belongs to you. I pray for the leadership of Grace Church that we would be expert builders, good architects, like strategically planning so that we can continue to grow in, in a healthy way. I pray that the focus would always be on you, Jesus, and that at the final inspection, we would hear you say, well done. Well done. In Jesus' most precious name, we pray these things. Amen.